Hello and welcome to the Raising Athletes podcast, or maybe welcome back. Hopefully you're a returning listener or, and maybe even viewer. This time we're trying something new. We're going to do some audio and visual, so maybe you get a chance to see us on a couple different channels. But my guest today is amazing. I'm so excited to have her on. But before I introduce her, I just want to say Susie's birthday is today, so she's not here. But my name is Kirsten Jones. I'm a peak performance and sports parenting coach, and I love helping others figure out what's holding them back releasing it and getting out of their own way because when we can do that with with for ourselves and then for our kids everybody you know is able to be their be the best version of themselves so today we have Julie Shackford on. This is a first for me, but I feel like I know her already, but I'm so excited to have the women's William and Mary soccer coach on today. Welcome Julie. Kirsten, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and swap stories and help any of the young athletes out there looking for answers or how to approach things. Yeah. So most of our listeners are, are moms. Um, you know, we do have some dads listening too, but mostly parents and, and we all get stuck. You and I are both parents get stuck in our own way. I find myself coaching myself um, times when I'm watching my kid not play or lose or struggle. Right. So I would love to, you know, we want to get to later about your team and what you're doing now and how you recruit, but I'd love to start with your journey. We just missed Pat, missed each other at William and Mary by a couple of years, but maybe you could take us back to, you know, your, your coaching journey. Sure. Um, I've been coaching for 30 years. I went to the College of William & Mary, which just William & Mary now, um, and then wanted to head to law school to be a sports agent or a athletic director. And my AD at William & Mary called me up and he said, you know, Carnegie Mellon, a Division Three program in Pittsburgh, is, wants to start a women's soccer program, and they're interested in somebody who wants to be an administrator. He's like, why don't you do it for a year, John Randolph? And I was like, you know, it's probably not a bad idea. And then go to law school. Well, I got to a Carnegie Mellon. I um, was able to start a club team and then get it to varsity status. And they paid for my master's and I never looked back. Spent five years there, 20 at Princeton, took a little bit of a hiatus uh, to get remarried, moved back to Northern Virginia, which is where I grew up. Uh, coached in, in a club there called FC Virginia. And then when my coach retired at William & Mary, was brought back to the tribe. It was kind of a full circle moment. And somewhere in there, you had some kids along the way too, right? I did. <laughs> I had three kids. I have twins that are sophomores in college and a senior who's at William & Mary. <laughs> oh, and so what, what have their sports journeys been? How did they watch you do what you were doing? I saw one video that they had of you at Princeton and the kids yeah. were on the field with you and yeah. practices and how did they, that evolve? It was amazing that they had the opportunity to be on campus uh, at Princeton for, you know, most of their formative years um, and had access to all the sports and played all the sports growing up and um, ended up, two out of the three ended up, you know, pursuing soccer at the college level and one my son is now a kicker at iowa state so took his soccer skills there um and i think that um i never really controlled any of their soccer stuff like they were always invited and i did some assistant coaching with them but it was very um i don't want to say hands-off because that's not quite right but it was definitely not like you know, because I'm a soccer coach, you guys should play. And um, they really played all the sports and, and, and really just love soccer. They're, they're, they were passionate about it. 
talking about kids kind of coming to it organically, right? Yes. You having a master plan and being, you know, Geppetto. No, but I do think like the, the women that I had, the student athletes at Princeton, like they were such role models for my kids too. And the men's team as well that, you know, they were consistently around it too, which I'm sure didn't hurt. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Can you think about, I mean, let's go down the mom parent for, around yeah. for a second um, about times when things weren't going well or they were frustrated or you were frustrated or, and how do you maneuver through those? I mean, I get parents all the time. Yeah. Fact, it's funny. I was laughing to myself the other day. I've got a cer certain group of friends that, you know, can we just go for a hike and I'll be hiking. And then they'll be like, I just have to vent. And, you will listen, yeah. right? and I get it. Like I yeah. feel, I, I told, and then they apologize. I'm so sorry. I vented. I'm like, it's stressful. It, and we moms, I think parents in general, but I know moms, particularly get more emotional and they get more connected to the outcome and worried about the outcome. Yeah. So can you talk to speak to how you, yeah, I mean, I think like coming from the coaching background, like I don't get stressed watching my kids play or not play. Like I, I just, I don't know if I'm just so desensitized to that or because I'm always having with my team, I'm, it's so competitive. Like when I go to watch others, even when it's my kids, it's like super enjoyable to me. Awesome. Now I know that's probably, you know, strange, but that's not to say like, obviously you feel bad, like if your kid's not playing or, um, you know, that's probably the biggest piece that parents have a hard time with or, um, you know, player situations or whatever. But I, th but I think that, you know, for the most part, I would just give my kids the same advice that, you know, soccer is a very subjective game and, you know, coaches make decisions, not always about like, talent, but maybe there's matchups, maybe there's, you know, you don't always know. And to not be afraid to reach out to your coaches to talk about things. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know, parents want to do that piece for their kids, but it really is such a great exercise for them, you know, when they get into their whatever, 12, 13, 14, when they can have a discussion with a coach about, you know, why they're not playing or what they can do to get more time. Um, but I think in general, for me, like, yes, I feel their pain, but I don't, um, I'm a little bit, it's like a different realm for me. So I can, I don't know, I don't get as emotional about that piece. That's amazing. Because as yeah. a former player yourself, like, yeah. I, from, I, I'm just so competitive that yeah. it's hard for me to see my kid struggle, right? Yes. You know, my daughter didn't get on the floor last week and yes. for you know, 33 matches. And that was right when the college coach was there to watch her and your heart just hurts for them. So absolutely, it's, it's hard to separate yourself, but it is one of those things that parents, you know, I always say like, distract yourself, go for a walk, talk to the friend next to you, put a lollipop in your mouth, whatever you need to do to zip it and, and let them have the experience. It's not our experience. It's exactly. their experience, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think ultimately those, you know, the days they don't get on the court and the times that they're injured and the times that they lose their spot, ultimately, you know, you need all those rocks in the road. And, and usually if a kid stays with a sport, those will be really like, meaningful memories and experiences to, you know, help them succeed in their sport ultimately. And in life, right? That's life. In life. Yeah. Then, then it's going to be a professor. Then it's going to be a boss. Then, you know, there's going to be other bumps in the road that will also throw you off. And now you're like, oh, I've got this in my toolbox because I yeah. already dealt with this before. I've seen this one coming, right? Which no is- No doubt. 
we were talking about that, like our, our wise 50 plus year old selves and the advice that we could give, you know, back then when we took it as, oh, this is awful that this is happening. And in fact, probably were the best gifts that we had. Yep. No yeah. doubt. And, you know, I think that as a young athlete, I think maybe you don't think you have as much control as you have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think advocating for yourself and putting in extra work and, and there's, it's such a roller coaster going through uh, being an athlete, whether it's at the youth high school or college level, that it's usually the kids that just keep with it you know, that end up being successful. Like I find that the co- in the, at the college level, it's not always the most talented. It's the kids who have grit, who can show up every day, who are consistent and their coaches know what they can rely on them for every day. What about, do you have any sleepers, like ones that may have, may have not like been your best recruit and then. Absolutely. So- um, at Princeton um, and at William & Mary, you know, we, we, I've always been open-minded to walk-ons just because at schools like that, they're such high achieving kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had, I had two really good instances at Princeton and, and one was a kid who just wasn't tough at all. She always wore bows to, you know, in her hair to practice and just, she was very skillful, but just could not, you know, could not like get into battles and win 50 fifties and all, and, and be gritty. So, you know, we talked about it for like, I think we talked about it for three years. And, and finally, I'm like, Liz, like, she's like, Shax, you are not even going to recognize me. And she did all, did all the extra work, got herself into squash courts, into high pressure situations. And in her senior year, she's like, Shax, I had a dream. We're going to beat Harvard. They were our nemesis for a while and ended up um, assisting on the winning goal, getting her spot because somebody tore an ACL and took okay. advantage of it. I have another story of a a young woman who came to me from California, Northern California, who was a walk-on engineer, brilliant kid. Like, you know, while everyone else was taking naps, she was getting her next problem set, being an engineer. She was a black belt, just a tremendous athlete and um, ended up starting on the team uh, that went to the final four, which is crazy. So, there's all kinds of those stories. Like I, I think about, like, I know uh, this isn't women, but I think about Brock Purdy being Mr. Irrelevant and then taking his San Francisco team, you know, to the conference championship. Like, I think like so much of it is just about showing up every day. Yes. So well said. Yeah. And, and, and being, yeah, being gritty, being willing to be uncomfortable, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And I think parents, we want to rescue, we want to save, Absolutely. we want them to not have pain and understandably, right? Because, but when you can separate yourself from them and say, this is his pain, he needs to figure it out. Here are some tools, you know, talk to them, take care, take extra reps, do what you need to do. You know, that kind of, let's push into now into your, in your current team and, yeah. and how, how, what about at college level? Are parents involved? Are you talking to the parents? How much do you hear from them? You know, oh, yeah. I, I actually have a rule because when I started out coaching at Carnegie, I was 22, I think, and or 23. And I had a father that called me every day about why his kid should be playing. And I finally said to him, look, Mike, you need to come to practice for a week. Okay. Come down, watch practice. You know, everyone sees the final product and thinks, oh, I could be in that game or, 
Uh, he ended up never coming. But after that, I decided that I would never talk to parents about playing time. I would talk to them about academics. I, I would talk to them about health matters. But they are learning how to be adults and having conversations with me about their career um, is going to be the best way for them to not only, you know, make the best of their situation in college, but like, as you said, in the game of life, be able to, you know, advocate for yourself and also learn about your strengths and weaknesses and know that it's not always going to work out the way you think it should. Now, in high school and youth, it's a lot different, right? I think the parents are more involved and kind of have to be like in, in certain ways. So that's the stance I've taken and it forces the kids to, to get in and talk to us. And ultimately it makes for better decisions. It makes for better culture. And there's times when a kid comes in and opens your eyes up to something maybe you hadn't seen before, you know, like maybe you can try me in a different position or you know, I just don't think I'm getting enough minutes to really establish myself on the front line. And so, you know, we think of those conversations as two ways. And, um, that, you know, I think that's an important piece to building a student athlete's confidence, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so well said. Yeah, I, I ran the footwear internship program at Nike for several years. And I remember having a father call me to tell me that his daughter didn't like the laptop she was given. And I just thought... Like what? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, same woman or same girl came into my cubicle and said, "I'd like an office, please." Like, yeah, I've been here for 13 years. I know. I'm not getting an office, honey. But you know what I think? I know. I'm sorry to interrupt. I think like if you, we're just so much more entangled as parents, right? Like, I think think about your parents and what they did for you, right? Nothing. You kind of sunk or or swam, right? Yeah. And I think because we have been so, you know, involved. Yeah, you know, for better or for worse, that, you know, creating those lines is really difficult. Do you screen for that when you're recruiting? Absolutely. A hundred percent. No doubt. Do that? <laughs> we do that by conversations that we have, by emails that we get, by sideline behavior, mm -hmm. by how the, the recruit young lady handles themselves in the recruiting process, by vetting with their, all their coaches. Um, so you, you know, that, tells a lot, you know, I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. always tell all and you can't always imagine how things will go, but yeah, we spend a lot of time because we're recruiting a whole family for four years and hopefully for longer than that. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's so important that the parent, again, parents stay out of it. I have a college athlete right now where, you know, things aren't going great and he, you know, is miserable and he's calling home and we're saying, you should go you should go meet with the staff. Like who, yeah. who else can you call for advice to who's in your network? People that have your, your club coach from high school, another yeah. you know, your coach from prep school, they're all fans of you. So go talk to some other people, get a couple other opinions because ours is one point of view, which is obviously very biased. Exactly. Talking, talking to other people to get, you know what? this situation isn't as bad as you think it is, or you're right. It is, you know, so getting an objective point of view is, is huge. Yeah, I think like um, I had a, a woman alum from William & Mary who actually has the only middle school STEM school in Washington, D.C. Her name's Michelle Mason, and she played soccer here. And she said, you have to have your personal board of directors, meaning like, you know, those three or four people that you can go to and rely on their, um, you know, honest feedback, right? 
Yeah, because that's what you're going to need as you go through every step of the way. And it can't only be your parents because no you're just so bought in for obvious yeah. reasons, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. So let's talk about, uh, we, we started to get into this right before we started recording, but about mental health. And this is such a huge topic. And we're seeing, you know, these hor awful suicides and kids taking their lives and feeling the, you know, anxiety and depression and overwhelm. And, you know, used to say, well, it's because they're not working out. They're not eating healthy. They're not, they're, they're sitting, but that's not true of these college athletes. They have all those things in balance and yet it's happening. It is. How are you seeing it and how are you, you know, how do you help your athletes navigate this? Yeah, I mean, I think things go so fast for these kids and they've got, you know, things coming 100 miles an hour. I think all all the events that are going on in the world, I think that um, social media plays a huge role, especially in young women in terms of, you know, everything from how they eat, how they dress, how they feel about themselves. Um, events, uh, just that whole social network thing. Um, and so I think that trying to get to a point where our student athletes can come to training every day, and I don't want to call it an escape, but that they can put whatever they have, you know, going on in their lives aside and know that they're coming to a place where even though they're competing and being motivated and being pushed, that they know that they're part of something bigger and they know that they can support and land in a place where they're going to get um, compassion and love. It might be tough love, but I think that's a really important piece. And to have a culture that talks about mental health, like not just writing about it, but talking about it, like we'll have kids come in and, and send them to the right places on campus. Or, you know, if we have the expertise, you know, talk to them about what their issues are. And I think just being available for this generation of kids is really, really important. I think they want to be heard. Um, and they aren't helpless, but I think they need somebody to help them make first steps, whether it's going to see somebody, whether it's, you know, not gripping so hard on the steering wheel so they can enjoy things, whether they can put stuff away and focus on one thing at a time, you know, whatever strategies you know, that we have to help them navigate, you know, being a student athlete where you're putting 40 hours a week into, um, into your sport and then trying to be great in the classroom and, you know, be great everywhere else. It's, it's, it's a lot for them to handle. How do you create an environment of vulnerability so that it's safe? Because, right, that's a cultural thing. And if you feel like I, if I show coach I'm weak, that then she's not going to play me. So I've yeah. got to have a stiff upper lip. And I feel like there's a lot of kids who, like, I've worked this hard to get to this spot. If I show vulnerability, I'm out or I'll be, you know, maybe put put to the side. So I can't do that. So yeah. how, do you do, how do you build that? I mean, I think part of that comes in the recruiting process, right? We're recruiting kids that... It's a two-way street. Like, I think, first of all, we are three women coaching on our staff. We're three alums. So we've been in their shoes, right? I think when we first took, took, took over the program that really the better part of two years was spent on building a culture and what it means to be a tribe, women, student, athlete. We have core values. We have a mission, which states that, you know, there is a net here for all of you uh, to land in. And we bring in speakers, we 
spend time on it. We spend time on, you know, it could be a, a, a skit, like, you know, your roommate is complaining about playing time. How do we deal with this? It could be, um, you know, taking a day off practice and going to get ice cream. Um, and so I think you build that over time. It doesn't happen right away. It's almost like how you, you know, you build respect. And, um, so I think just over the years, like that message has been brought, um, to our leadership group and they pass it down to the next group and the next group and the next group. And it's now almost five years and you can, you can feel and see the culture now, which is really cool. You don't have to carry a big stick. It's built, it's baked into who we are. We show up girls coming in, get it right away. Yeah. They're probably drawn to that in the recruiting process. They are. And I will say that more student athletes want to know what the resources are or how you, um, you know, how you run your program and, and, you know, what kind of coach are you? And, um, I think they're way more tuned into that. And that's, I think even through COVID that that was exacerbated. Like I think all those kids spending all that time at home and, you know, just what family is and what home is, and they want to have a piece of that when they're away, you know? And I think um, I've, I've seen that piece of the process grow. Which is healthy, I think for this generation. Like I said to you before, like when I was an athlete, I was just an athlete. That's how I defined myself. When I was done playing, I was a basket case. And, you know, now I think these guys are like, you know, I am so, my sport is a part of me, but it doesn't define me. Yeah. And the tools that are built in, in fact, I'm speaking um, for the professional development group in a couple of weeks. Um, and like, wow, like when I graduated and I'm like, okay, now what am I going to do? Like I didn't have a plan. And now that there's resources that are helping kids figure that out and get internships and have exit strategies of, okay, now I can take all that you did as a division one athlete, which is phenomenal. Like there are so many people that want to hire for those skill sets that you grew Absolutely. Like, I, I think I saw a stat somewhere yesterday, like 94% of C-suite uh, managers are women or were women athletes. percent, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Which makes crazy. sense. Yeah. Yes. So you also wear, you wear two hats as the head coach because your daughter is also yep. she's currently playing for you, right? So- she is. She was recruited by John Daly. We always, John Daly was my coach too, which is kind of cool. <laughs> And we always say that we need to get Kaylee a shirt before her graduate, before she graduates to, to say that she was recruited by John Daly. <laughs> yeah. Not by her mom. Um, yeah. It's an interesting dynamic. Um, I, it's been, I'm not going to lie. There's been challenges as you can imagine with girls. And um, I think probably it's harder for her, you know, on a certain level, I think with me, like I've got three other coaches to help deal with playing time and her development and, and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, I think it's more just the, the perception of, right. Like, yeah, yeah. like having your mom as your coach and she, I was a single mom for 13 years. So she's always been really independent and her team is her thing and that's her, where her loyalty lies. And so she does a really good job of, you know, it, it's almost, I don't know if it's sad to say, or if it's just kind of the way it's, it's worked out that, you know, during while we're at college, like I'm coach, you know what I mean? And then when I'm on breaks, I'm mom. And I know that's kind of weird, but I think that's worked for both of us. But you kind of need to, to, you do. do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, but, I, but I also picture, like I'm picturing, does, do girls go to her thinking they're going to get to you? That's like, a great question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because she hasn't like a, like abused that or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm sure they do. Maybe she puts it on somebody else to get to me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Time will tell. Huh? But sure she doesn't, yeah. 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 She, uh. she's, she's respected that line really well. And I think for the most part, it's worked well. Um, yeah. It is kind of cool to be able to see her every day. I'm not going to lie. That That's cool. Yeah. And, you know, I do get joy out of that and watching her with her teammates and all, all those kinds of things. And, um, but you know, when she's on the field, she gets treated like every other kid. That's awesome. I love that. That, and then that makes sense with how you see the game. You're looking at the game more than you're looking at, I mean, yes, you look, look at the individual pieces, but you're not like, Oh, that's my kid. I've got to yeah. strategically yeah. place. You know. And I also think as you build a team with all the pieces, it does become more about the collective and just how it's all working together and less about her or her or her, you know what I mean? And yes, that, that, that's the beauty of getting your program to a higher level. And um, so we're kind of at, getting to that point now, which is pretty exciting. I didn't prep you for this, but and if you don't have an answer off the top of your head, it's fine. But what just came to me was, who are you most inspired by? Like, what coaching style have you gone after based mm -hmm. on how you were coached? Yeah, well, I had an amazing high school coach who was a woman named Carolyn Rice, who in her 70s now still does Ironmans and she was way ahead of her time. And so I think having that physical role model uh, was amazing. I also had great coaches uh, that weren't women. And in the DC area, I grew up with um, uh, Jill Ellis's dad, who really um, was an icon in the area once he came over from England and spent every summer going, going to his camps. And I feel like most of the nuances of the game I learned from him. She was a teammate of yours, correct? Or Jill was a teammate of mine, yep. Um, and so I, I had great, great coaches who um, didn't always knew the game, but knew how to motivate and kept my love of the game up. Um, I think I had one bad coach my freshman year in high school. And I can just remember thinking I would get very upset, like, I don't know, just at him and the way he coached. And I remember thinking that I won't allow a coach to take away my love of the game. Ooh. And so I was pretty fortunate. And then when I went to Princeton, uh, Bob Bradley was the men's coach. And he went on to coach the national team and a bunch of MLS teams. And so I think I was really lucky to have some pretty high-level tacticians around me. Mm -hmm. um, but I always was obsessed with the game. Like, I, I continue to be obsessed with the game of soccer and watching it at every level. What age did you start playing? I started late by these days, standards. I started at eight, third grade. Mm -hmm. Most kids are starting at like three or four now, I feel like. <laughs> <Totally. Yeah. laughs> That's awesome. I don't know if you've read the book Inside Out Coaching. I haven't. Because uh, he talks about like kind of you, you kind of become like your parents, right? Whether you, you know, osmosis is a teacher, right? What you're exposed Absolutely. to. And then you kind of taking, you know, maybe it is some of what even the freshman coach did that you were like, wow, I'm never going to do that. And combining it with what you saw with your peers and, you know, those who led you become this strong, you know, and the success you've had at both programs shows that, that that's how, it, how you get results. So 
That's and strong. I think also as I've gotten older as a coach, I think you give up less and less control and you can actually learn so much more by that. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I learned just as much from our players and, um, you so give up less control or you give more control to the players. That's a great, I give more control, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's how do you do that? What does that look like to you? Um, that looks like kids being able to give ideas openly and me taking them and not, you know what I mean? And not blinking about it, you know, um, cause we've developed those relationships, um, you know, letting my staff do more, you know, valuing input way more, you know, and I think I've, I've always still have a little piece of being a control freak because I think every coach does to a certain extent. Right. But I feel like as I've gotten older, I, I think you, your mind expands and in some way you become better because of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great analogy for parenting too, right? Because, you know, I don't know if you follow Dr. Shivali, but she talks about the parenting ego, which is we, we have children for our own ego, right? Like, look what I produced, right? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't I great? And so then we spend all of our time, you know, guess, guess what she did, guess what he did. And we're so attached to that outcome. But when you become a little more evolved, yeah. you can say, that is not me. Yes, yeah. you know, and now you get to go have the journey. And so you being open to the feedback of, hey team, doesn't mean you're managing by, you know, whatever, democracy all the time. Like right. everybody yeah. gets a vote, everybody right. gets to say exactly right. what they want, but I'm taking your input and then, then I'm making a decision and we're going this way, but at least they're feeling heard. And I think yes. that's a lot of what we're talking about is this generation wants to be heard and seen. No and, doubt. And to be some of these coaches that are, well, you gotta be here and you gotta do this and listen to me. And, you know, parenting like that as well is, is not, a win-win and it doesn't build a long-term relationship, right? Like no. ideally kids want to know you care, right? Yeah. Uh, there was a high level performance coach who had a quote yesterday and it, and it was like, you know, n- even no professional wants to wake up and have an iPad shoved in his face in the morning before practice. Like they want a coach who says, how are you doing? Like w- what's gone on in your day? Like, you know, like those relationships are really why I've been in coaching for this long. Like I love the game, but mostly I love to watch people develop. And the magic of that is what keeps me involved. And I think, you know, from a parenting perspective, I think like it's funny because if if you probably look at your kids and you, you look back and you realize that obviously you facilitated a lot in their lives, but, but, kids come out with their personalities, right? And they are who they are. And I could go back and every one of my kids is the same as they were when they were three and four and five and six. And you know what I mean? And I I think that's a powerful thing when you think about like, we want to think we have all this control, but really they're who they are and they belong to us, but they don't belong to us. You know what I mean? And I think, yeah. I think it's so beautiful when you realize that teachers we're actually that are if we get out of our own way yeah and i think like letting them fail um or picking the times to let them fail right like 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 there's times where you need to pick them up and put them on on the right path but there's also times where you know those lessons are are really important and you do have to bite your tongue and you do have to stick a sock on the sideline and um really try to you know think about it from a, almost like a higher level perspective. 
Yeah, I must talk about like looking down on it as if you weren't involved, but you were yeah. watching it happen. We always have the best advice for our friends, right? But when yeah. we're going through it, we can't figure out the solution. But when we yeah. have the exact same problem with one step removed, it's amazing how quickly the answers come, right? And you know what, Kirsten, I will say there's a huge relationship between parents who try to control their kids' careers and burnout and dropout. Mm -hmm. and resentment and I've seen it so much mm -hmm. like kids with so much talent at young ages and their parents just controlling every little piece videoing every touch you know and it, it, as a coach you can't really tell them because they kind of just have to go through it mm -hmm. but I, I can't tell you how many kids with bright futures just ended up not playing mm -hmm. because of that constant how many multi-sport athletes do you have? Like, do had girls played? I mean, now that's that's also when we were growing up, we played. I played a different sport every season, right? Yeah. You saw the benefits of being that versatile, having that versatility. Do you see that as much in your recruiting? I think you don't see that as much, and I think that's a travesty because not only from, you know, I think from a physical perspective, you're doing less harm to your bodies, not doing the same movements over and over by doing different sports. Um, but I also think you learn to apply different things from different, different sports. And I think because all these club programs are such a big business that parents feel like if they don't get them into that sport right away and keep them in it, they're not going to succeed. And so you, I, I see less and less of it. Like I had a couple at Princeton, I had a couple soccer lacrosse, um, and certainly, some kids at the high school level, but I would say most of the high level club kids are doing it year round. I and to. I don't know how to stop that train. Yeah, I don't either. I think that train's left the station. So, yeah, except for when I, I coach the little nine and 10 year olds and the parents come to me and say, I'm so sorry. She's never played before. You know, is she going to be really behind? And I'm like, no. And I love yeah. that she played does ballet and she plays yeah. piano like yeah. she's going to take from those and she's going to use that and then she's going to make some new friends i think the other yeah. thing you're talking about is for these girls to be with the same 12 15 girls all year round i don't think it's healthy either like the point of being able to be on a new team with a different coach hearing a different yeah. voice yeah. having a different skill set maybe having a different role on that team than yeah. feeling like my identity is to be the sub and that you know like that's not good for your sense yeah. of self either all year round, yeah. right? unless you're one of those that has been an early you know like gets pushed to the front of the line all the time good but yeah. you know, for most kids who are or kids who are late bloomers that yeah. don't really hit their stride till maybe middle of high school or into college even right yeah. <laughs> i've told this story before but i had transferred and then i switched positions and i remember debbie's assistant uh, William and Mary, he came up to me and he was Chinese and very heavy accent and said, it's too bad you're graduating. And I said, why is that? He said, you're finally pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Darn! I know, right? So when parents are like, oh, you got to hurry up, you got to hurry up. They got it. No, no, no. Like, take your time. Like, you're going to be yeah. a better athlete. At, I mean, as we saw uh, for Georgia, right? The quarterback's yeah. 25, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You are going to be better down the road, most likely, unless you're burned out. Exactly. For so long. Yeah. 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 So good. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time. I want to know we need to get on with your day, but um, can I ask you one more thing we like to Please. ask at the end? Okay. So I, I, it's just fun to hear different people's point of view and you can take any angle you like, but yeah. having been a parent and an athlete and now coaching the best athletes I know do this. What do you see from your perspective? 
Um, I think the best athletes that I know are passionate about what they do, first and foremost. They are consistent in their habits. Mm-hmm. And lastly, they take feedback and try to apply it to their game. Growth mindset. A growth mindset, yes. Those are great answers. I love yeah. that. And if you have you have to have passion to begin with, or or you're in the wrong place, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because the higher levels you go, the more time you're going to spend. And if you don't have, it doesn't mean you're going to love every day. No, you, you you can't always do what you love, but you have to love what you do. And I think, you know, that the, that you put those three things together, and that's a pretty good recipe. Very good recipe for success. Well, thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate you joining me today. And this is great advice for all these parents. Um, Where can they find you? What's the best place to follow? Oh, yeah. You can find me on the William & Mary website. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Uh, Usually I'm under Shaq's or Shaq 16 on social. And then you can find me on the William & Mary website super easily. Very good. Well, I want to have you back on. I've already got like three other questions I didn't ask you. We'll get to next time. But parents, if you enjoyed this and you know another sports parent who's trying to do better at supporting their teen or athlete, please feel free to share and like this podcast. Send me questions. You can even text me. I'm doing the new age thing. Send Text me a question, 503-319-2209. Our goal is to support parents in raising not only strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Thank you. Thank you. Let's do this.